Welcome to the Open to Hope show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, with my co-host and mom, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Welcome to the show, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Um, It's great to be on with you today, and we're really going to talk about an important topic because we're going to talk about helping families and individuals to deal with loss and a great program that's going on in San Francisco uh, on helping people at the Institute on Aging in San Francisco. So do you want to introduce our guest today, Hyde? Sure, I'd love to, Mom. And as you said, we'll be talking with um, Dr. Patrick Arbor today on helping families deal with loss. Dr. Patrick Arbor is the founder and director of the Center for Elderly Suicide Prevention and Grief-Related Services, a program of the Institute on Aging in San Francisco, California. He is the author of numerous articles and book chapters on a variety of aging-related topics. In January of 2015, he was a silver medalist for public service sponsored by the Jefferson Award Regional Committee. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you on, Patrick. And uh, you've got pretty intense things you're doing Uh one of the big ones in dealing with risk of suicide among the elderly. I think people listening to this show would be surprised to know, you know, we make such a, um, and we should, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we make uh, such a fuss about um, younger people who die by suicide. But actually, isn't it men over 50 or 60? Isn't that the highest suicide rate? Am I correct? That is correct. That um Older adults have one of the highest rates of suicide of any age population, and then men are generally four times more likely to die by suicide. Wow. That's that's an incredible statistic, and, and one that we really, I'm glad you're working on it, because as I said, I just don't think there's enough public, um, maybe even empathy for, for older people, you know, under uh, stress and circumstances. Right, and I think that that goes back, sadly, to the fact that we live in a death-denying culture and an ageist culture uh, where we are much more interested in younger people and younger people issues, which I think are important, but not to the exclusion of older adults and the stressors that they experience as they age. And especially we're living longer now, so we're going to have more, more of us. Well, that's... Yeah, well, that's one of the things. The fastest-growing age category in America today is the 85-plus age category. And while I think people in general think, oh, this is great, we're going to live a nice, long life, but we forget to take into consideration that we might be living life longer with, you know, numerous chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's start with you. How did you get in the field of working with the elderly? Well, the significant thing that happened to me was that uh, back in the late 60s, I found an older person who had died by suicide, and I was very, um, you know, I was young, and I didn't know what to do, and it was very uh, difficult, and uh, I had tried to find a grief support group here in the city and county of San Francisco, and there were widow widower support groups, but no groups that really met the kind of trauma that I had experienced. And I had said to myself that if I could, you know, make any contribution that I wanted to do something in that area to help prevent older suicides due to emotional issues and also to provide a source of support for those who are bereaved. Now, did you actually find the person? I did, and that was a uh, very stressful experience. And... You know, and I know there are other people that are listening 
that have also found loved ones who have died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it just makes a difficult death even more difficult uh, when you find the person who had died. And, um, you know, it's it's not easy uh, on families or the individual who found them. Yeah, my niece uh, uh, just found, uh, my nephew's wife found her son, what, last year, Heidi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in his that, apartment after yeah. he overdosed. So traumatic. You know, it really is because nobody expects, certainly, to find their loved one, you know, uh, dead as a result of, of suicide. And so it's something that we can't even fit into our minds very easily. And yet, uh, we have to go on, and yet we have to find a way to uh, live with that kind of uh, loss. And what I see all the time over these 40 years that I've been doing this work is that people are very, very resilient, even under a great deal of duress. I, I really like to hear that. Don't you like to hear the resiliency piece, Heidi? Absolutely. And I was, I was, it makes me wonder what we can do for our elderly so that they will be even more resilient and less likely to die by suicide. Well, and I, I think that's a question that all of us who work in aging ask all the time because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the loneliness that so many older people experience uh, really shouldn't be happening. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, we really need to be aware of the older people in our lives and and not slowly and kind of systematically retreat from them uh, because they're older. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I think we have to put more awareness into it and connect. You know, I believe that connections are what bind us to life. And if we can connect with the older people in our families or the older person down the street or who lives next door, I, I just think minimal outreach can have maximum results when it comes to older people uh, feeling that they are visible, that someone sees them. You know, they don't need 25, you know, uh, best friends. What they need is one or two people that uh, can reach out to them. We do that through our outreach program where we'll call out to people, older people, you know, once a day if they are in need of that. And those calls are very powerful in terms of decreasing an older person's feeling of loneliness or depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just one call once a day. So you can imagine right. if you have, you know, four or five people who really care about that older adult, uh, that that's going to have a very positive impact on them. Yeah, I saw something where they put a preschool in a nursing home, and they said it was an amazing thing, and it was it was a win-win for the kids and for the elderly people that were living there. And, and I think those kinds of models models are, again, so powerful because what they're saying to older people is you're still a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And certainly it says, says to young people, uh, you too will be old one day. Yeah. You know, let's not forget that. Yeah. Well, that takes me to something that uh, I read that you talked about a little bit, is which is compassion fatigue. Um, I think that sometimes the family just gets exhausted with their older family members over time. What's your thought on that? I was I was uh, actually sitting next to somebody in church yesterday whose mother has had uh, 25 rounds of chemotherapy, and she is right. a young mother with a baby, and she looked exhausted. And her baby was probably a month old and was pretty frantic. And I said to her from what you, what I read, some of the things,
things that you talked about, compassion fatigue, I said to her, I think you really need to watch out for compassion fatigue, and you need to let other people give to you right now to support right. you so you can support your mother. But don't you think that that's part of the problem? Families get exhausted. Well, I think that's really true, and I, I think that's so, again, uh, uh, so much a component of, you know, caring is that I think adult children believe that they can really do everything. They can raise their kids, go to work, take care of their own relationship, and take care of mom and or dad or sometimes uh, both. And it is really exhausting. I see this all the time with grievers who are adult children of older people who have died. And, and they'll say that, you know, they did everything they could, and what they wound up being was burned out and suffering from compassion fatigue, which is the high cost of caring. And it's, it's even in the death of their uh, older parent, um, they're still dealing with that guilt because they so have to work through that, that idea that I had to do everything for them. And I try to say to uh, families when I give talks is, you know, we can't do everything for our older parent. And that's why I think it's so urgent to be aware of aging services, you know, in the towns or cities in which people live or in the communities. Because I think, uh, you know, uh, trying to help our older adults live, you know, a life of well-being even until the end really does require the support and involvement of other agencies. Uh, you know, and that's why we call out to people who are older, because we want to let the adult children know that yeah, there are other people who can, you know, talk to your uh, older parent. And I think it really does support the, you know, adult children, but it gives that older parent other people with whom to connect. And I, and I think that's a really a good thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, my question is, and you have got to have heard this a lot, my parent won't go anywhere. They refuse to go to the senior center. They refuse to. They want me to be there. They want me to be emailing them five times a day, you know, and they refuse to do it. What do you do if you've got these these people who don't want to go anywhere or have and, – and some of them have hearing problems. So, oh, yeah. you know, they don't want to go. I, I don't go. I want to, don't want to go because I can't hear. And I can still drive, and I don't need anybody. I just need you. Well, and that's – and you're so right about that. I mean, I hear that all the time. And I say to adult children who, who, who will tell me that, and, and what I say to them is, yeah, we have to really be aware of the, again, the impact of aging on older adults, um, that if they have hearing loss or if their vision has decreased, but they haven't told anybody. And, and the primary reason when I talk to older adults about that is that they don't want people to think they're old. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want them to think that they are in need. And so they put all of their needs on the uh, shoulders of their adult children. And, uh, and, you know, and that's really difficult. I say to my staff and volunteers as well, when we try to offer a recommendation or a referral is to anticipate that older person saying no. And they'll say, I'm saying no, because I want my son or I want my daughter to do that. And so there's a family dynamic there that often needs some intervention you know, a mm -hmm. social worker or an MFT or somebody else that works in aging, a gerontologist, to really help families have a discussion uh, because so many families suffer, uh, both the, the adult child who is in the caregiver role, but also that older person as well. And so uh, we try to really mm, kind of 
start those discussions earlier. You know, it's really tough when you're in the middle of it. But we want to start those those discussions earlier so that when your parents are in their 50s uh, or 60s and are still very active and capable, that's when to have those discussions about what's it going to be like when, when you get older, Dad? What is it going to be like when you... And, of course, nobody wants to have that conversation, but it's such an important one because it's what is really true about life is impermanence. Um, and, and we really need to have those conversations and go back to those on kind of a regular basis so that everybody's aware of how we're going to respond should mom have a fall and break her hip or whatever the issue might be. And again, to be involved and be familiar with aging services uh, in your region. So you say, Mom, what about Dad? What about these dads that are committing suicide? I mean, what about them? Well, see, that's the other huge element here, uh, which is, you know, if men were born in this country generally, what they have is a very intense relationship with independence Mm -hmm. and autonomy. And we have to look at that as a potential risk factor when it comes to suicide uh, risk assessment, is that if somebody's value is, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstrap, um, I'm going to take care of it all myself, I can't let people know I'm weak, uh, that's going to really deter the person from uh, getting the help that they might need. And so, again, I think we have to look at you know, how we talk with older people. And when Dad says, oh, he's okay, uh, don't worry about me. Um, he might not be telling the truth. What he might be uh, experiencing is that I don't want to be a burden on mm-hmm. the family. Uh, and that's when people talk about feeling like a burden or they talk about not belonging. They're they're really in a state of thinking about death. And so family members really need to be alert uh, to those kinds of comments um, and to be alert to that uh, uh, again, those values where you could see mom or dad could really benefit from some help, uh, but they absolutely refuse. And and that's when you sometimes need maybe to have the physician have a conversation with that older uh, patient uh, with an adult child there as well so that people can all get on the same page. You I, know, I, I understand when people want and would prefer their adult children to provide all the help, but that's not uh, certainly not sustainable and not always appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you say children with an S, one of my experiences has been seeing that a lot of times everybody will dump it on one child. Right. Well, and, and, see, and I think that's also where it becomes just kind of not appropriate for that, you know, sometimes uh, adult daughter or maybe that. Uh, adult son who gets, you know, really uh, uh, picked as that's the role you're going to play as I get older in life. And it causes a lot of guilt feelings on the part of the adult child who just loves their parent but really can't provide that level of care. And, And again, that's why I think we need to make sure that, you know, the adult children are aware that they don't have to do that on on their own. And it's not a sign of disrespect or lack of love that you're reaching out to other agencies uh, that could be very uh, helpful and very appropriate for the older individuals. 
And and again, what I've seen, and the good news on that, is when older people are really brought into that discussion, and if they are competent, meaning that cognitively they're fine, um, then it's a matter of helping them deal with maybe their fear or embarrassment about what some of their needs are, particularly, again, if they have perceived themselves to be highly autonomous and highly independent. Um, and, and again, I think just really looking at things squarely. You know, this is what's going on. Mom and dad, you are getting older, and we have to talk about that. Somebody is going to be old in this country. Uh, we need to be unafraid to say that's okay. We don't want to impoverish the meaning of aging because we're afraid to have that discussion. Um, I love you know, that, and that's yeah. why I think people just need to listen to programs like yours, you know, that we can talk about this and the sky's not going to fall in. And, and yeah. you're, you're, doing your, you're doing your loved ones a favor when you bring in other people because sometimes you're frustrated and short with people that you're caring for and it's beneficial to them. And I guess the other thing I want to say is we need to figure out a way to keep our elderly empowered. You know, they're, they have so much to offer us, and yet we look towards youth for all the answers, and I feel like we need to do a better job at keeping them, you know, in the game and keeping them empowered and going to them for advice and information about life. See, and I think that what we try to do at Institute on Aging is to have a collaboration with the older adult and, and with the family. So that the older adult isn't sitting there, but everybody is ignoring the older person mm -hmm. and talking about what we should do with, with him or her, rather than engaging that older adult as well to participate actively uh, in decisions about what is going to happen either now in the present or in the future. And, and what I find is that when one respectfully brings that older person in and anticipates that they may not like this uh, uh, whole discussion, but to give them, you know, the respect and patience to say, I understand how difficult it is to have these discussions because we're in an ageist society mm -hmm. and no one really wants to say, yes, I need help because something has changed. I'm getting older and I need to understand what I still can do for myself and what I need assistance uh, from other people. And that could include, again, uh, geriatric service agencies. I think that's so important to let people out there know that they can turn to agencies. The other thing, I think before we end the show, Heidi, I think we need to talk about um, a little bit, since we've mentioned suicide, uh, what if I feel my family member is at risk for suicide? How would I know? What should I do? You know. Well, what, what we have to do, and, and this is what, again, I talk about connections being so important, you have to be aware of who your parent is or who that older individual relative is that you care about and, and actually get to know them and to realize that who they were maybe in their 50s is not who they are today in their 80s. And it's really important to speak directly. And if you see any change in behavior, any change whatsoever, if the person isn't eating well or they're not sleeping well or, you know, um, they're feeling uh, uh, suspicious of, of neighbors or whatever, that you really want to, first of all, have a discussion with that, with your older parent and just ask them, is there a reason why you're not sleeping? And to really connect with them and have a discussion about that. And if it seems like the person is maybe experiencing symptoms of depression, then we want to talk to our 
primary care physician uh, about this. Uh, you can call a suicide prevention center, such as our Friendship Line for the Elderly. We'll be happy to talk and support the adult and child. And I can call you from another state, out, you know. that number? And our number is 800-971-0016. Great. Thank great. you, Patrick. We need to wrap up, but that's very that's great information. Thank you for all you're doing to help families deal with loss. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Great having you on. Well, Heidi, what an important show. And, man, I thought about some of the stuff for me. I'm getting older, and you're my daughter, so hopefully you've got some good ideas for me. <laughs> yeah, Patrick gave me a lot of great ideas. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank everyone for listening to this show, and, and uh, we hope that you've got some that you will take action and proaction and think about some of these issues. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours till you find your own, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.